What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. The Braves have finally won a fucking postseason series, Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky ass hijinks, optimism, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's fan freaking tastic. I was not expecting to be doing this Saturday afternoon uh, emergency podcast. It's unbelievable. This is a, this is a strange feeling. I have not felt this feeling in 19 years, and I love it, and I'm very envious of all the other people that experience this all the time. I agree, and it's so weird, too, because I remember being at the two th- one of the 2001 Astros games. I can't remember which game I went to. It wasn't when we clinched. I think it was the game before we clinched, and I was just like, oh, yeah, of course, we'll take care of business here. It's, you know, that's what we do. We we win the division series every fucking year. I think the only time we hadn't won the division series in my lifetime was the year before against the Cardinals where we just got swept for some reason. So I was like, of course, okay, return to form, beat the Astros, we'll be fine. And we were. And you just you just take it for granted because every year when we were growing up, it was like the Braves are at least getting the NLCS, if not the World Series, go to the World Series five times in the 90s. And then it just become we became so desperate over the years after all these humiliating playoff defeats Every time we go to the postseason, it just felt like just agony, constant agony. I remember after the 2005 Joey Devine 18th inning loss to the Astros, I swore off the Braves for about three or four years just because I couldn't take it anymore. And it wasn't like I didn't care. I just I just completely checked out. I did not keep up with it day to day. You know, I, I would I would keep track of like what was going on. I would watch a game here and there, but I was not watching it obsessively like I used to. And it wasn't really until 2010 when I really got back into it. Um, so, I mean, it, it really took a lot out of me. But, of course, over the last 10 years, we've experienced a lot of playoff heartbreak and agony and, and missing the playoffs in the 2011 collapse. And it's just like, God damn, it was so frustrating because we always had, it felt like some pretty good teams with the exception of the rebuild years, you know, in 2015 through 2017. And it was just so frustrating not being able to get to, you know, get to the next round. And even though, you know, we're going to the division series now after beating the Reds, it was still a euphoric feeling. It's a very comforting, warm feeling that is rarely experienced as an Atlanta sports fan. And I treasured it, treasured it uh, after both victories, particularly the second one, and where we actually, you know, won the series. And I have my, uh, some of my dad's ashes are on, on the mantelpiece in our, in our house. And after we won both games, I tapped his, I tapped his uh, little box there that the the ashes are in. Be like, we did it, Jay. That's we did awesome. It. That's really going cool. to the fucking NLDS, man. It's like we fucking did it. Yeah, I know he'd be he'd be very happy right now. Oh, I'm sure he would. Um, yeah, that's the which fun- sucks because the last game he the last game he went to was that wild card game. That's the last baseball game he went to before he died. Poor bastard. The chipper so. wild card game. Yeah, the chipper wild card game. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, b- better days are with us now. Uh, it's that's the funny thing about streaks. You never know when you start a streak. Like in 2001, you didn't realize that would be the last time we win a postseason series for 19 years. So maybe this is the beginning of a new streak, a positive streak. Um, yeah, and, and there's been a lot of talk about it's like, oh, this is the wild card. Like, this is is this really a real series? Yes, it's a real series because it's it's a hump that we got over that in the past we have not been able to get over. Like, I, everyone, game one was the most stressful thing I've ever experienced. Like, from the first inning, I was just the first pitch. Yeah, the first pitch, I was just like, yeah, with the hit, the hit on the first pitch, I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, yeah, and especially you immediately just wanted to jump off a cliff. Oh my god! And especially like the noon start on a like work day is also just very weird because it's for so many reasons. Especially new, like come on, it, when do you experience that back to back noon games? Um, but they came out ready. Freed was a stud as he always is, and you know what? I mean. The, they showed gumption, Graham, and the Reds took our role. The Reds had every opportunity to win that game, and they blew it. So the fact that we finally got the big hit from Freddie, like that was just a weight lifted off the entire city of Atlanta, and especially that team. 
And I do think it's important that we get to the point of realizing this team has nothing to do with the teams of the past. Like, it's so easy to compare them and be like, oh, they haven't won playoff series since 2001. But none of the players are the same, minus Freddie for the most well, part. But I, I would disagree with that in the sense that we went to the playoffs in 18 and 19 featuring a lot of these same players. So you can't totally say that. Well, you can say they haven't won but, a playoff series in the last two years. Yes, I see what you're saying. But it does feel like, especially Freddie Freeman, who has connections to the 14th straight division title teams, having been teammates with Chipper Jones, Brian McCann, trying to think of if anyone else he was teammates with during that run. I don't think there was. Uh, Tim Hudson, you know, he has connections to those guys. He's heard their stories, I'm sure. He's experienced this playoff heartache in 2012 and 13. And, and you know, he has experienced, you know, last year in particular, a diminished returns in terms of his ability in the postseason, it seems like, performing. I know a lot of that was exacerbated by his, his wrist injury last year or elbow or whatever the hell was going on with him. But uh, it was great. Like you said, Freddie Freeman exercised some demons with that walk-off hit. And I'm so glad it was him and not someone new like Acuna or Ozzy um, or even Ozuna because it was great to see someone who has endured these horrible struggles, who has been with us for 10 years now, uh, come through in the clutch and and really get over this hump of not being able to perform when it really counts in the playoffs. You know, for Freddie, he had never done anything in the postseason that was, with the exception of, you know, in that Dodgers game when we were already down 2 nothing, he hit that go-ahead home run, I think, in game three. But he had never done something to, like, win a playoff game that you felt, you know, that you felt like really mattered because the Dodgers were already up 2 nothing, and with their pitching staff, you knew it was all but a foregone conclusion. This was the first game of a playoff series. We had struggled all day, and it was so important to win, and it was so important to win via the guy who's the leader of the team who has choked in the postseason before to rectify the sins of the past and come through in the biggest fucking possible way. I mean, I lost my mind when that ball left his bat. I knew, even if it wasn't a hit, it was definitely going to score Pache. I mean, he, he smoked it. Well, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm happy, as you said, that it was Freddie that got the hit. But I would have appreciated someone else getting that hit about three and a half hours earlier. Yes. <laughs> it was just excruciating. Like, well, yeah, let's, I mean, we, we set a record with the Reds in terms of most strikeouts ever recorded in a postseason game. And it was very odd because, I mean, both pitchers were dealing, although I'd say Bauer was a little more dominant than Freed because the Reds had more scoring opportunities going through the game. But it was so odd to look at the swings of some of these guys. I mean, I remember Max Freed bounces a ball in the opposite batter's box. I, I can't remember who he was facing. But this guy swung at a pitch that was like seven feet outside that bounced in the other batter's box. And then you had Freddie taking horrible swings, Ozuna taking horrible swings. Everybody looked lost to the plate, and I wonder how much of that had to do with shadows and not being able to pick the ball up. Uh, I know Freddie mentioned at the end of the game that the shadows were really creeping in, and he you know, was having trouble seeing the ball uh, on that, that walk-off hit he had. So I think, yeah, the pitching was phenomenal in the series on both sides, but I think some of it could probably be chalked up to the inability to see the ball during the daytime for whatever reason, be it shadows or something else. Um, yeah, I, I just think the nerves as well and all that pressure of a best of three all or nothing series as well had a big thing to do because we were texting back and forth the entire week basically about baseball and uh, we agreed that the second game, even when it was still nothing-nothing, we were putting better at-bats together. Guys seemed more comfortable. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Trevor, Trevor Bauer, that guy is just next-level good. Like, potentially could be the best pitcher we face in all of the postseason. Um, but Luis Castillo, he's, or as you like to call him, Castellani, he's no joke either. Um, but they were putting some better at-bats together, so that was promising. Marcel looked a lot more comfortable up there. Ronald was doing his thing. Yeah, three hits in that game. Yeah, I mean, he he, he kind of looked had just had that look of a guy who was going to take over the game. Um, Castillo was not fooling him. And, I mean, him getting that double to get us that first one was run was just also huge and a big turning point. And 
to be honest, it felt like one run was going to be enough to do it. Yeah, you felt a lot more confident. Particularly when the Reds didn't score early in the game when they loaded the bases. I can't if that was the first or second inning. Second inning. But, the, yeah, you know, Anderson. Yeah, yeah, when they didn't score there, I was like, okay, these guys are, are choke artists. They're like us. And it was actually, this is something I've been wanting for a while, was to play Cincinnati in a playoff series because they're about as cursed as we are. And all and their, their sports in football and, and baseball. So it was nice to play a team that historically chokes because – Someone's got to win, and we have the better team on paper, at least from an offensive standpoint. So, that's what's crazy about um, these ESPN and like all these rankings and everyone choosing the Reds. It's like, yes, they have really good starting pitching, but they also had one of the worst offenses in the league that completely relies right. on I, home I mean, runs. They could have they could have easily won that this series, I think, if they had just come through two times. Like, this was hanging on by a razor's edge in terms of who was going to win it. You know? Especially that first game. They also had all the sloppy base running as well. Yeah. They had some bad base running. Um, that rundown that Aquino got into at home plate. I, I've never been... I haven't been that nervous during a play in a long time. That was horrifying. The, the play Austin Riley made to tag him. I was also wondering why the hell Austin Riley didn't just throw the ball, but whatever, he made the play. No, no, I mean, it's kind of odd. I think eventually you got to make the gut decision that he didn't have time to throw it. More things can go wrong when you throw it. Um, I mean, I think great plays all around by uh, Darno and Freddie to be aware of him breaking and, but also just terrible base running again. Like he, that guy broke back to third was his first instinct and then hesitated and then finally took off. And uh, good on Freddie for charging towards it instead of initially throwing it to the plate. And it was just phenomenal all around. Yeah, yeah. And that and that was another thing is that we played really good defense in this series. I know there were a couple of times um, when we struggled to turn a double play with Ozzy. I think in the second game, struggled to get the ball out of his glove. I think Austin Riley had a play like that. I can't remember if it was game one or two, but he, you know, it was like the transfer wasn't as fast as it could have been. But there was no, like, dumbfound. You know, there was no Brooks Conrad moment. There was, you know, nothing like, even though it was a tough play last year, but, you know, Freddie missing that that little liner over his head last year in game four against the, the Cardinals. There was nothing like that. It was like every play that had to be made was made, and we didn't do anything to shoot ourselves in the foot other than striking out like 70 times. But, I mean, that was just tough pitching and whatever was going on with the shadows. Uh, but I, that was something I was very pleased with, with was the defense. And I thought Freddie also redeemed that play last year because he had – it was a very similar play that happened in game two where a ball was just laced over his head and he makes this leaping catch and just spears it. I mean, we, we played – and Austin Riley made a, a couple of beautiful plays in the in the infield in addition to that, that wonderful play he made in the rundown. Everybody's just really strong defensively, rock, rock solid stuff. Yeah, it, it is funny, like, coming into the series, everyone's talking about our offense, and then it comes down to pitching and defense. That Yeah. That is how you win playoff series. And, I mean, can't say enough about Max Freed, who I think we were all a little concerned about since he'd only thrown, like, one inning in the last two weeks. Uh, but you could tell once he got out of that first inning jam, he settled in. He was the old his old efficient self. Um and then Ian Anderson. He only threw 77 pitches in seven innings. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, I mean, and you could go back and forth about whether or not that was the right decision to pull Max Freed. I, at the time, I agreed it was time because he had just hit that batter and that he was looking a little shakier in the seven. And the top of the order was coming up again. That Sincel guy had, had him figured out. Right. Him and Castellanos both had two hits off Freed. And what right. I keep going back and forth with – is that just the depth of this bullpen. Like, you can question every time you like a guy looks great and then question pulling him and not letting him go a second inning. But you've got six guys lined up that are just as good and nasty as that guy. So, Well, well it's, what's fascinating to me also is that Melanson is probably the least dominant in terms of just pure stuff out of the, the regulars, out of the bullpen. He pitches more to contact. I think he only has like 12 strikeouts this year and 20-something innings pitch. So it's like... What's fascinating to me is like when Martin 
and Will Smith are out there, particularly Will Smith, this this series, he finally figured his shit out. His slider was untouchable. It was one of the filthiest sliders I've seen since, uh, I can't remember who's that. Remember that, that Red Sox pitcher? Oh, Andrew Miller. It was the filthiest slider I've seen since Andrew Miller. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. Uh, and everybody out of the bullpen really stepped up. Tyler Matzik was incredibly good. Got into jams. I was wondering why he wasn't being pulled, and he shut me the fuck up. You're striking out the next two batters when you guys on first and third in game one. I mean, every the only person who really didn't answer the call this series was Shane Green, ran into a lot of trouble. But you mentioned this uh, when we were talking, I think after game one, that Snicker was quick to pull Green when he realized he didn't have it and was able to, I can't remember who he inserted in his place. Minter. It was Matzik or Minter. Minter. It was Minter, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think overall, Snicker did a, a really good job figuring out when to use guys and how to use guys and when to stick with guys and when to not to stick with guys. Cause I mean, you got to wonder what his decision-making process of, okay, Matt is getting hit hard. Let's keep him in. And then Shane Green was also suffering the same fate, but he didn't. So I wonder what his decision-making was there. I mean, it worked out. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, this is not one of those scenarios where I'm saying he made the wrong decision at all, even regardless of outcome. I'm just saying, I wonder what his process there. His, his thought process there in terms of which guy to keep in and which guy to take out. Like it was, he, he pulled all the right, the right moves though. I mean, he did it. You, you know, it was, it was a much better managed series than last, last, uh, and then the last year. Yeah, I, I agree. Like that, that was my main point with the Shane green was that I feel like in the past Snicker would have been like, Oh, this is our guy. He's been great all year. We're going to stick with him." But this time it was just like clear that they were seeing him very well. And Shane Green did struggle down the stretch. So to bring in Minter, and what a great story Minter has been this year, a guy that was just largely written off by most of Braves country after his atrocious past couple of years. And, you know, last year he spent a ton of time in AAA, and no one pictured him as a major piece this year. And he just put it all back together, like reevaluated himself and, has been unbelievable this year. So just to, to throw classic AJ Minter the way he was in like 2018 on top of all these other veteran arms, it's just, man, it's just luxury. Like, I, yeah, I've never realized how amazing it is to have a bullpen you're confident in. This is one of the better bullpens I've ever seen. And I think much credit has to go to Alex Anthopoulos for assembling this bullpen. And I'm very happy for Will Smith in the sense of, you know, we were both kind of getting frustrated with him when he actually started pitching, didn't look very good. But I think, you know, like we talked about, couldn't start the season on time because of COVID. Then when he, you know, wasn't even testing positive for COVID anymore, he still couldn't get out there. And uh, because for whatever reason, the tests were inconclusive or something. So, I mean, it took him a while to get out there and took him a while to find his rhythm. But I think he's out of his spring training sort of timeline and is now fully locked in. And I think he's going to be the seventh inning guy going forward. I mean, I think he's earned that based off these two appearances. Yeah, he's a major weapon for us now. Um, And to your point about Melanson, like, yeah, he's not the big strikeout guy, but you, you can't argue with what he's done this year. And, I thought oh, his, no, he gets the job done. I thought his it's, stuff it's was looking nasty come, as well during the, those two games against the Reds. Oh yeah, he. I mean, it was two back to back one two three appearances. Um, his hook looked very lively. The only thing that just concerns me with Lance is because he's more hittable. There's probably more of a propensity for him to give up a big hit than there is someone else, just because he people make more contact with his pitches. So that's just like, and that's not to say that he didn't look good. He did. It's just like if. Someone's going to give up a run. I have more fear, I guess, that Melanson is going to do it than other people just because his stuff is more hittable and he pitches more to contact. Yeah. But Man, whatever. I mean, they're getting the job done. It's nice to be sitting here today and talking about this, Graham. Like, last night, I, I well, I guess yesterday afternoon, I came home and I was like, oh, let me watch a little bit of this Cubs-Marlins series to see who we might be playing in the next round of the playoffs. That's not something I'm used right. to. Like, yeah. Us closing that out in the second game was just so sweet, and it just felt relatively comfortable. Like when it was zero zero, I was still stressing out, but just knowing that you had that game one win is just 
huge and just so comforting. Yeah, and I was not. And, and then I was actually able to get some work done during game two. Game one, it was really hard to get work. I had to work late that night just because it was really hard to get anything, anything done during that game. It was like every inning was a panic attack. Yeah, I mean, for that game one, I mean, especially with that being Freed's game, and it's like if we lose with Freed, I trust Ian Anderson, but then we're coming down to Kyle Wright in a clinching game, and it. You you don't want to go there. I would I would have aged a couple of years if I had to sit through and watch sure. that game three yesterday. So yeah, that would that would not have been fun. I think too that what was cool was watching watching Ian Anderson just come out there and and perform as well as Max Freed, virtually untouchable stuff. Had one bad inning, but was able to work his way out of it, and then it was just lights out from then on out. Like there was. No threat at all. Even when he gave up that hit down the first baseline that caromed off the first base bag. I can't remember who that was to. I didn't feel bad or anything. I was just like, okay, he's going to get out of it. The Reds can't do anything. They, they yeah. suck. Yeah. So, I mean. And, and our pitching staff is that much better, too. I mean, kudos to their bullpen as well, though. I mean, can you believe Lucas oh, yeah. Sims Lucas is that good? Sims looked like, Lucas Sims looked like a scorpion was in his ass. Like, he was shitting fire out there man that guy was untouchable throwing 95 these wipeout sliders too i mean he was pissed off he was he was looking to to take names i mean he he was out of this world good i I kept hoping for the duvall taking sims deep storyline sims made duvall look like a chump that never happened i mean that's a perfect another perfect example of why you don't give up on pitching prospects too early not that i mean that trade ended up working out for us with duvall this year obviously um but you know like what we saw of sims in atlanta wasn't impressive and people were just so quick to write this guy off just like people were quick to write kyle right off um so it takes time. Lucas Sims is another guy that's that suffered a similar fate to Kyle Wright in the sense that he was never getting a lot of time to get his feet wet. It was a start here, a, a, a relief appearance there. Right. But it was never enough to get in a rhythm. And now we've seen with Kyle Wright, now that he's been able to establish a little bit of a rhythm and not you know go up and down from the minors to the majors like a fucking yo-yo, he's been able to get his shit together. So it would have been nice to see if Lucas Sims could have done that. Even if he would have just turned out to be a, a bullpen piece, Imagine adding that guy to our, this already stacked bullpen. I mean, it would be even more untouchable. Yeah, like he, he wouldn't even see the – he would have been our, like, 16th inning guy. Yeah. Oh, it, I want to talk about Luis Castillo for a second. Castellani? I, yeah, excuse me, uh, Luigi Castellani. Yeah, that guy. I had not watched him pitch before, and I could not believe – the movement on his fastball, particularly to right-handed batters, it was it was almost like a slider fastball hybrid in terms of the movement of just cutting across the plate, this sort of sweeping movement. But it was also 98 or 99 miles an hour. I don't know how you can even touch that pitch. It was in- unbelievable watching him work. I, I was just blown away uh, by by what he was able to do. Yeah, it's like it's, he, 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 like Bauer may have been more impressive, but in terms of just pure stuff, Castillo just I've never seen a fastball move like that. I was just floored. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you actually don't you can't get too upset about not scoring a lot of runs off these guys. Like their stuff is that good, and Bauer like I was just so impressed. Like he was pitching, man. He he's not a thrower; he's a pitcher. Like you could just see guys guessing wrong all day long and he's got his that swagger about him he's a guy i really want in atlanta i don't know if that's gonna happen but he would fit he's in. a free agent right yeah he's a free agent he would fit in a mate like bauer soroka freed anderson right come on yeah that would be that would be sweet and people you know are like oh will he be a bad teammate or, or anything like that and it's like you know what he doesn't seem like he's a clubhouse cancer. Maybe some people have some problems with him. Maybe they don't. But he's going to be so fucking good that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, he can be the biggest are, asshole in the world. People and are how many times have we? Yeah. How many times have we gotten you know the good teammate who was just an average player? Remember, John Abraham was not a beloved player in the locker room. But if there was one guy you could rely on to actually do something on the defensive line and make one big play every game, it was John Abraham. You need nasty guys. 
Yeah, freaking uh, Marcelo Zuno was the same guy. The dumbasses on Twitter like, oh, he's a clubhouse cancer. He's going to mess up our dynamic, blah, 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 blah. No, you don't know anything about him. Like, yeah, as Bauer's a perfect example of a guy you hate as an opponent, but on a team, you love that guy. Like Acuna, I'm sure, is the exact same way. I'm sure people around the league oh, yeah. hate Acuna. I'm sure every team in the NL East hates Acuna, despises yeah. him. But we, we know that he is a great guy and a great teammate. And honestly, having Acuna and Ozzy is a reason that I think we do have a chance to re-sign Marcel, as he has said on multiple occasions that he loves playing with those guys. Yeah, and I mean, Marcel's going to get paid this year. Marcel also hit... A- I mean, it wasn't the game-defining hit in Game 2 or the go-ahead hit or anything like that, but that was, I think, once he hit that home run, the entire city could exhale. Oh, yeah. Because the way the Reds had been playing, it was like, okay, maybe you give up a gopher homer, like a solo homer in the ninth inning, but big deal because now it's 3 nothing. Like, that was such a big hit. I love seeing the reaction to the battery crowd to that hit that ESPN showed, even though I was like, I don't know how all these people are – I would be very uncomfortable in that scenario being stacked around all those people right now, but that's, you know, a whole nother conversation, but I love seeing people react to that. I felt that energy in terms of just, it was once again, it was, it was like Freddie started the exorcism in game one and Azuna and Acuna and Anderson, you know, just sort of completed it. They completed it. We have, we have rid the demon. It is gone. It is dead or has been sent to hell. And now we can just focus on, the Marlins, Adam, who defeated the Cubs in yesterday's wild card series round. And this is going to be a very interesting series, I think, because the Marlins in the history of their franchise have gone to the playoffs twice and they won the World Series twice in 97 and 03, and they have never lost a playoff series. It's a fascinating story with them, too. I mean, like just where they've come from and they're starting pitching. It's pretty filthy as well. I don't think it's as good as the Reds, but you know we, we know these guys pretty well this year. I haven't played them 10 times. And in, in Atlanta's own podcast first, we actually have a Marlins correspondent that we're going to bring in on this show Ooh. to get a little more insight. Like you said, I feel like we know the Marlins pretty well, but there's probably more we can learn. So we're, we're going to take a little break here in a few and uh, bring in Marlins correspondent Rich Carter. Rich Carter. And uh, see what kind of insight he can give us, Graham. I don't know if he's Sounds a stats good. guy or not, but we'll find out. Let's bring him on. Uh, but before before we do that, I don't feel like okay. we gave Ian Anderson enough love for what he did. Sure. Like, I mean, this guy, he's just, he's got that mound presence as a 22-year-old that you find in a Mike Soroka. Like, it's, just unbelievably impressive what he did. And he's a guy you feel fully confident walking out into game two of the NLDS now. Like, yeah. I mean, his first game in Yankee Stadium, no hitter through six, second game in Fenway. Like, he's seen some big moments already and he keeps coming through. And well, the good news is, Adam, is he's, a, he, he's a Red Sox fan, so he knows how to win in the postseason. Oh, that's yeah. He's an up north guy. That that is really helpful for us. And also, thank you, Cole Hamels, because Cole Hamels would have been starting that second game. Other hand, otherwise, and I don't see Cole Hamels pitching that well. Do you, Graham? No. Like I said, that was a bad. That was a bad move from the beginning. I don't wish injury upon anybody, but you didn't want to have to deal with, especially because he only started like twice. And he was not ready to go, as we saw in that Orioles game. Like, he was just getting his feet under him, and it wasn't enough time for him to ramp up. So, yeah, I wouldn't want Cole Hamels pitching in the postseason at all. Yep. It all works Unless out, it's Graham. like game four or something. Sure. Yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah. But, you know, what makes this so critical in the first two games with the Marlins? I mean, I guess, are you ready to call Rich Carter? Marlins correspondent, Rich Carter. Yeah, yeah, we got to get him on the phone here before we get into this. All right, and we've got Marlins correspondent, Rich, I I believe it's Carter? Yeah, that's that's right. Nice. We got got Rich Carter here. Rich Carter here, he's a uh, 
longtime friend of uh, user Hugo. User Hugo doesn't actually know this is this call's happening right now, and he's going to be beyond ecstatic to hear your voice, Rich. Um, but, you know, we figured you're the Marlins guy. We're the Braves guys. We're playing each other in the NLDS now, so we just kind of want to get a little insight from you on this team. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm. I mean, who who would have ever thought this was going to happen, right? Um, as a as a Marlins fan, I'm pretty pretty happy that we've made it to this point. Um, I'm not particularly hopeful about what's going to happen next week, um, but you know, it's only a five game series, so anything could happen. And uh, this is a you know, this Marlins team's pretty exciting. Uh, our pitching staff is going to keep us give us a chance to win any game. Um, we've got, I think, you know, the, the first game's on Tuesday, right? So I think given that we closed out yesterday and that there was a rain out on Friday, it looks like we're going to be able to restart the rotation. And so our top three are pretty solid. We've got Sandy Alcantara, who's the, you know, he's been the ace for the last couple of years. He came over in the Marcelo Zuna trade. Uh, and I know that you're benefiting big time from, from Marcel after he became a free agent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then we've got, we've got Sixto, who, I don't know if you watched the game yesterday, but Sixto pitched a freaking fantastic game. Um, he came over in the JT Real Muto trade, and, and he's kind of like, he's the next ace in waiting. And uh, one of the most exciting young pitcher, pitchers in, in baseball. Um, he went, I think, five innings yesterday. No runs allowed, six strikeouts. Uh and you know when he's on, he throws 100 miles an hour, and he's basically unhittable. Um, so that's our number two. And then in the third slot, we've got Pablo Lopez, who kind of he was never really like a a top prospect, but he he pitched to I don't know something like a around four ERA. I think he's a pretty solid guy. Um, after that, we're in trouble. And so if you take us to five games, um, then then the pitching, unless we can reset it and go back to Sandy. Then, then you've got a chance against the last couple guys. Um, but what's the deal with Atlanta like? I, I don't know. I don't know too much about the Braves other than Max Fried is good. But then, like, who else? Who else pitches? We're in a similar scenario in terms of our top two pitchers. So we have Max Fried, and we have Ian Anderson, who's a young guy who pitched during the game two against the Reds and was lights out. I think he went six innings, didn't go up any runs. Uh, he was called up this year in lieu of a lot of in- injuries that happened to some of the other guys, and he was always a top prospect in the system. Throws 95 on the black, really good fastball, great off-speed stuff, uh, very cerebral pitcher in terms of sort of understanding. He reacts to what the hitters give him in a sense, like if someone's in front, you know, he's not going to be like, oh, let me throw a fastball now. And, you know, he, he is a great strategy to his to his pitch. And so it's like how Sandy and, and Sixto for you guys are one and two. Freed and Anderson, I think, are, are, you know, as good in terms of like we have our top two guys. And then after that, we have Kyle Wright, who has been in the uh, prospect in the system for a while, has also been relied upon due to injuries, a lot of injuries to the rotation this year. And now uh, so he's in a similar situation to Lopez. Um, so it's pretty much like, I think from a a rotation standpoint, we are mirror images of each other in terms of two really good first two pitchers, a decent third pitcher. And then after that, it's like nightmare city. So it's going to be really fascinating to watch how these two rotations duel each other. And then what happens if, you know, if it goes beyond three games, there are a couple of potential X factors. So I think the fourth starter right now is Trevor Rogers, who is who is a relatively highly touted prospect, um, and he had a couple really great games in his first first couple games up, um, and then had a couple rough ones also. But he, he he's got the talent, and so if they make it to the fourth slot, he could be he he you know he could give you a great game. Um, there's an additional additional like super X factor, which is that I heard that there's speculation that they could call up. Um, a guy named Edward Cabrera, and he he is one of their he's probably the top prospect that isn't up in the big leagues. Oh moment. shit! Um, wow. And there's talk that there's talk that they could add him to the NLDS roster, even though he's never pitched in the big leagues. I think that's kind of a cool idea, just because you guys are playing with house money at this point. No one expected the Marlins to go to the postseason. It's a totally fuck it attitude. Why not? 
Rich, what were your expectations yeah, coming into this season for this team? So I, w- I was I was excited about this team, not not in the sense that I expected them to make the playoffs and then make the second round of the playoffs for sure. Uh, like like Adam just said, like this is this is definitely feeling like playing with house money. Um, but I definitely felt like the team was in, was turning in the right direction, and that this was going to be exci- an exciting year to like watch a bunch of young guys develop and like hopefully really build the foundation for um, given that the ownership might be willing to spend a little bit more money in the coming years, like build the foundation of a, of a team of young guys that like maybe just needs a couple more pieces to be real contenders. Uh, and actually to, to be honest, I don't know that we've really, we've really seen a bunch of those young players develop in the way that we were hoping, especially on the, on the positional side of things. Uh, we've got, Guys like Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Jazz Chisholm, Jesus Sanchez. These are these are all like relatively highly touted prospects uh, in the lineup, and they pretty much all sucked. Uh, <laughs> so that that's not particularly encouraging that they don't seem to have hit on any of these guys that were like the main return pieces in a lot of the big trades a couple years ago. Like Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison were the, the big pieces that they got back from Yellich, from the Yellich trade, uh, and that's just looking like worse and worse by the day. Probably like the worst trade in franchise history at this point. Uh, but the and, and also just like uh, there's so much like what could have been with this team too, because like uh, Chris Paddock won the Aces on the Padres, oh. Luis Castillo, uh, you know, amazing pitcher for the Reds. Uh, Who's the other guy? Zach Gallen, who's was pitching light out for the Diamondbacks this year. All those guys were on the Marlins in the last couple of years, and they traded all of them away for like nothing. Um, I mean, the the Zach Gallen trade is still PBD because they got Jazz Chisholm back in it, and he's you know he hasn't been in the big league long enough to really be able to tell. He hasn't you know torn the cover off the ball yet, but there's still hope for him. Um, but the Paddock trade, I don't even know who they got back from Paddock, and it's a Luis Castillo. They just got some like. I don't know, crappy reliever for some, like, you know, they were like five games back in the standings and thought like, oh, one middle reliever is going to be the difference to get us into the into the wild card. And obviously that didn't happen, so they just, like, gave away a top prospect for nothing. But, yeah, you know, I, I, I like the direction of the team. I think that the, the Jeter ownership for all of the flack that it got at the beginning uh, for – for just kind of being like same old, same old, being cheap, kind of like firing everyone that's been around the team for a long time. Um, I, I think that, I think that they're on the right track, and I do think that they're willing to spend some money. I mean, not that it's big money, but they signed Corey Dickerson, they traded for Starling Marte. He's got like a thirteen million dollar option next year. Uh, they're, they're, and I think they'll probably keep that option. They're, they're willing to spend some money to like add the pieces necessary around what hopefully is a, is a pretty solid, like under team control core. So I like the direction of the team. I think that you'll probably blow us out in the series. Um, I'd be pleasantly surprised if we force five games and absolutely ecstatic, if we can somehow come away with the win, but um, this has got to you know help the confidence of the young team. I think Don Maddox has done an amazing job as manager also. Let's talk a little bit about the offense for for a second. Starling Marte is injured in this Cubs series, and from what I've heard, it's likely that he is only going to be available as a pinch runner or a defensive replacement. How big of a blow is that to the Marlins' offense? It's it's not huge, honestly. I mean, he's he's one of the best hitters on the team, but they didn't have him for most of the season, and they also kind of backed into the playoffs in the end that they – were like four games over 500 with only like 10 to play. And then they ended up like maybe just one over 500, I think. So like they really backed in. Um, and Marte didn't really play that well for him. He, he had a much lower OPS than he had uh, on the Diamondbacks earlier in the year. But I mean, you know, that's, that's a small sample size. Like everything is a small sample size this year. And definitely we're going to miss him. But, um, you know, I was mentioning all those, all those outfield prospects that haven't really um, lived up to where – what we were expecting from them, but like, you know, they can play. Hopefully they can show some of the talent that they have and, and that losing Marte won't be that huge of an issue. Then from the rest of the lineup, um, Eric Cooper, I feel like is our best hitter at the moment. They got him with Caleb Smith from the Yankees for like, I don't even know what it just, I don't think it was Stanton trade. It was like some other really minor trade, maybe like David Phelps. Um, but he's, 
he's great. And he, like, doesn't really, he's, like, totally under the radar, but he had, like, the highest OPS on the team. He only played about half the season, but hit, like, six home runs, 20 RBIs. Uh, he's, and he hit the, he had the go-ahead home run yesterday. So he's, he's the guy to watch in the lineup, I think. You're by far, Rich, the most knowledgeable Marlins fans I've ever spoken to. Are there a lot of you out there? <laughs> I mean, the obvious answer is no. <laughs> um, if, you, if you ever look at the standings, the thing that really, the thing that really like was kind of insult to injury this year is that they didn't even put the cardboard fans in the stadium <laughs> this year, like every, like every other stadium. <laughs> like you, you could have at least could have at least like acted like there were fans like every other baseball stadium and they didn't even do that so, <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> I've, I've got a couple of like really really close friends that are that are as hardcore fans as I am but uh yeah there, there's and there's like a message board that I'm on that that um you know there there are certainly the hardcore people that any team would have but it's 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 just as deep, but it's not as wide. You know, you don't you don't get just like the casual people that are into the Marlins. It's kind of more like a niche interest, even in South Florida. I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the the way the Marlins are putting this team together, like I'm more worried about them going forward than any of the other NL East teams that the media is always hot on every year. Like the Mets bringing in like Robinson Cano or whatever. Like I mean, the way they're doing it with these right. young pitchers, like. It's gonna be sustainable. Uh, it's just crazy how many like huge names have been traded, and of course, a couple of those trades don't work out. But you know, it just takes hitting on a few guys like a Sixto Sanchez and Alcantara, and right. here you are. I'm not fully confident that, they're, that they'll be able to follow through on the rebuild completely. I mean, as, as I mentioned, those three guys that like could be in the rotation right now, um, they've made a ton of boneheaded trades. Uh, you know, Yelich, obviously the the capstone of it. I mean, he, he was on like a totally reasonable contract too. It wasn't even like a salary dump in the way that the deal was. Uh, and then and then yeah, trading Pat and Castillo and uh, Gallon for for like not much at all. So they they have the propensity, even when it's not just like a, a cost cutting move, to still do dumb stuff. And so I'm not like fully confident in the front office or in the ownership yet, but I'm a little more confident than I was like three years ago at least right. and you know you got to give the ownership credit for the jersey they are they are incredibly good looking the logo is amazing that teal pops that pinkish orange pops black jerseys are awesome so another x factor in this series then for sure there take us through this bullpen a little bit i know that's been a bit of a concern this year for for miami the bullpen oh yeah the, yeah the bullpen's mm-hmm. bad i mean they're, they're getting they've gotten super lucky that like brandon kinsler uh, is playing the way that he has played. Uh, that was that was kind of unexpected. As you know, as low budget teams do, they basically just roll with like whoever they've they've got, and then like add some like bottom of the barrel guys that didn't get signed at the end of free agency. And that's that's what the Marlins did with Brandon Kinsler and also with uh, Brad Boxberger. Uh, both of those guys have closed before. You know, never lights out. Uh, but both of them are having you know as good of years as they've had in a long time. And Without that, I don't, you know, the bullpen's already is, is bad as is, but without those kind of outperforming their expectation guys there, then it would really be a mess. So, so for the Braves, it's safe to say if we could get your starters out of the game early, then we have a chance to get those bats going. For sure. Uh, especially if you get the, the starters out early, early. Um, if we, if we can get the starters to go seven, then, like Yumi Garcia, Brad Boxberger, uh, Brandon Kinsler are, are, are pretty solid, like seven, eight, nine, um, and also Richard Blyer, lefty, lefty from that they got from Baltimore, like halfway through the year, is also not bad. But if you can like tap into the long release part of the bullpen, then yeah, it's, it's over. It was probably already over since you got to the long release, and we don't have the offense to catch up from from big deficits. But uh, then it's, yeah, you're you're gonna. I mean, it was like that twenty. What was it, twenty-eight to nine game or whatever? Like yeah. The, I think oh, yeah. Thirteen runs off off of whoever they put in after the starter. So. Yeah, I felt bad for that guy. He he was just falling on a baton there. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was Jordan Yamamoto. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's he, who it was. Yeah, he, he can't. 
he was he was great last year, and then this year to- like totally fell apart. So uh, I don't know what his deal is. What do you think of Jesus Aguilar? I've I've been impressed with his power this year in particular. Uh, I I love the way he plays, and I I love his jovial attitude. The guy never stops dancing. He's like he, every time they they pan to him, he's just kind of like shaking his shoulders and like smiling at people and like winking at the camera. Like he's he's a good player, and he's like so much fun. He makes the team like integrate moves the whole time. So I love Jesus Aguilar. Yeah, in addition to Cooper, he's he's the other guy I kind of am, am afraid of in terms of being able to do some real damage. I know he also went yard in that Cubs series, I think, in game one. So, you know, the postseason is not too big of a stage for him, for sure. That was, I mean, that was that was a great move to bring him in. I, I think, you know, he was an all-star with the Brewers two years ago, hit 35 home runs and over 100 RBIs, and then had a down year last year. So they basically, I think they just signed him for like, you know, $4 million or something like that, like basically nothing. Uh, and he's, he's been one of the best hitters in the lineup. What, what's your prediction on the series? Oh, it's tough because, you know, we, we've gone 19 years before beating the Reds, having never won a postseason series since 2001. So it's, it's, it's odd to be in this scenario where we've won a postseason series, even though it's like the wildcard series, which is its inaugural season. So having, having played the Marlins enough this year, I feel like we can win. So I, I feel confident that we can win the series, but I also am afraid of y'all being a very pesky team, black magic kind of shit, and also you've never lost a postseason series. So I'm very concerned about th- about that. Yeah, and and also, you know, I still have nightmares of being a seven-year-old of Angel Hernandez's strike zone. And uh, who is it? Levon Hernandez throwing the ball like seven feet outside and getting the call. So I want revenge for that. Yeah, so... It's hard for me to have like this sort of, you know, just ultimate prediction on it in terms of being very confident. But if someone put a gun to my head right now and said you have to make a pick, I think the Braves can win this in four or five games. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think these teams have played each other pretty evenly this year overall, even though I know we took three or four from the Marlins during the end of the season. However, uh, I think it's going to be a very closely contested series, and I think the series will potentially be won after those first two games. Like, if someone wins the first two games, it's over, in the sense of more so than it would be in almost any other five-game series because there are just so many question marks for both teams in the back ends of the rotation. But if it's a split, it's anyone's series. It's anyone's series. So I think those first two games are really going to tell the tale of of, of what's going to happen. It's either going to be very closely contested or it could wind up just being a sweep. I don't know. But in my heart of hearts, I feel like it's going to be close, but I think the Braves will take it in four or five games. It's also just weird that there's no off days as well. That's another just like X factor that you're going to get into those bullpen depth a little more than you would normally. So um, I'll be curious to see if we add a couple arms that weren't in our wild card roster just because of that, because you can't throw the same studs. Like our, our bullpen is amazing, but you can't throw these guys four or five straight days. So that, that'll be another X factor in this series. Yeah. Speaking of off days, another thing that makes this Marlins run so impressive, like in addition to all the, the COVID stuff at the beginning, is that uh, to end the year, they, they played 27 games in 23 days. Good zero, Lord. zero off days and a whole bunch of double headers all, all in there. So, yeah, this, this team's played a lot. Um, Adam, I, I assume that, that you prescribed the same theory of sports fandom as your brother where like you you know you can't like ever acknowledge that <laughs> the Braves are doing well or the Falcons are doing well you gotta like knock on wood and like basically taken as a jinx did you say anything positive about the team is that is that a correct assumption I don't take it to the extreme that he does but yeah it's definitely there Gra- Graham here thinks that's all voodoo horse shit and uh to, to, to think that anything that we say can ever affect the Braves is just nonsense. But I also kind of think it's like, well, it, it can't hurt to just be cautious just in case there's those baseball gods out there. Um, so, right. but it, I'm not going to make a prediction. I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I sent, I sent your brother a screenshot of the ESPN homepage the other day that the, the, the headline was, uh, Braves take selfies to commemorate the end of their postseason woes. So uh, obviously that was something that would just drive drive the clouds crazy. Like I kind of was like, all right, cool, smooth sailing from here on out. 
and uh, that that really got under his skin. Yeah, well, he also said something about texting you twenty nine times during the Braves scoring twenty nine runs, yeah. something along those lines. He, he just he said he said hi twenty nine times, <laughs> um, and I like I didn't I, he, he had to he had to explain the joke. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that our teams just have such different histories. It's like we're consistently good pretty much every year. We're like the best regular se- we're like the best regular season team in MLB history, I would argue, <laughs> over the last 30 years. And we're, like, never good, but then, like, randomly every, like, 7 or 10 or 15 years or so, we just go in the World Series. Yeah, it's, it's right. ridiculous, so... <laughs> Which I, I guess I would prefer the World Series route versus constant heartbreak. So that that that's what scares me about playing y'all. Kind of just like like matchup wise, I think I probably prefer the Marlins over the Cubs. But you know, just weird voodoo, voodoo shit wise, the Marlins yeah. scare the shit out of me. Definitely the potential for weird voodoo shit. Yep, for sure. Um, all right, Rich. Well, I know you got an important meeting at the brewery that you're currently at, so we'll let yeah. you get back to it. Yeah. But we we appreciate you coming on, and uh, this this podcast will be out on a Monday if you want to hear it. Cool. That sounds good. Yeah, it was, it was good to speak to you guys, and it'll be a fun fun week. So maybe we'll check in again after. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, sounds good. Thanks. All right, thanks, Rich. Right. Thanks, Rich. So, one thing I think we do need to talk about, and something I feel like played a really huge role in the red series was the change to extra innings in the playoffs, which I was very thankful for that. It was like real baseball in the sense that there was no longer a runner starting on second base in the 10th inning and beyond. It was really nice to see that, but I think that also played a huge role in the game against the reds going as long as it did. And I think that if we go into extra innings again with the Marlins, that certainly plays into our benefit because our bullpen is a lot better than the Marlins. So I'm really happy that Major League Baseball changed the rule back for the playoffs. Yeah, and I meant to mention this when we were talking about the bullpen as far as like some of the rule changes. I was wondering why O'Day was still out there, and I completely forgot about the three-batter minimum. Yeah. So that does play. That's still a thing. That, that's a, that's, that plays a big role, and I don't hate that rule. It's, but yeah, I mean, to have that extra innings rule in the playoffs would have been absolutely absurd. But also, as I said many times, having that in the regular season didn't affect anything. So it was fine. But you know, if something had happened that was, you know, total fuckery, people would have been crucifying that rule to death. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm sure we would have lost possibly the series if that rule had still been in effect. Yeah, but like honestly, on paper, I feel good about this matchup. The Marlins have given us trouble this year at times, but overall, we we beat them in the regular season. We know them. It's not like we're going up against like the thing that seems to be our undoing, which is why I was so scared of the Reds was going up against just elite pitching in the playoffs that we hadn't seen much all year because we usually play a West Coast team or some you know the Central, you know, people you don't see that often. We play the Marlins ten times this year. We know this team inside and out. And we should be, you know, well-equipped to go in there and get the job done. The problem is Sixto Sanchez in particular has owned us every time he's faced us this year, as far as I can remember. I'm not as scared of Sandy Alicantra, but Sixto, I think that guy is going to be the ace of that, that staff for many years to come. This, this dude is on another level. But other than that, I'm not as yeah, concerned I mean, with, with the Marlins, uh, especially – like not having Marte, even I know Rich said that wasn't a big deal, and he hadn't been on the team that long. You know, a guy like that who has postseason like experience with the, with the Pirates yeah. would be a thorn in our fucking side. Yeah, he's an Andrew McCutcheon type, like just someone that's going to cause us issues. So, and I don't think they've ruled him out officially. I heard it was just going to be the fact that he didn't play in that game yesterday. Yeah, I heard it's just going to be defense, defense, and and pinch running. That's all. I, that's what I heard. Okay. Well. So so basically, he's Christian Pache. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, I'm 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 stoked. Full week of baseball ahead. They still haven't released game times. I'm sure. I'm assuming we'll be freaking 
noon or one o'clock again. We'll be early for sure. I mean, if the Cubs had won, we'd get some primetime games, but it's going to be early. It's going to be one, two, three o'clock. It's fine. For sure. Let us fly under the radar for a little longer. I, when I was I was watching that Cardinals-Padres game last night, mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad the Padres won. Like, I understand the Padres, they can hit really well, but with Clevenger being out, their pitching is subpar. Granted, the Dodgers will probably just beat them, and it won't be an issue. Right. Not that I'm getting ahead of the Marlins, no. but... But, yeah, you start to I, think about... My point was... I. I, I I'm not getting ahead of myself. My point is, like, objectively watching games, I was a lot more impressed with the Braves' bullpen in general than any other team I've seen. Like, the way, like, the Indians lost that game where every single reliever was giving up one to two runs, we're not going to see some nonsense like that. No. We know that much, at least. Yeah. So, I mean, this this bullpen being our number one strength is nothing to sleep on. And let's just take care of business against the Marlins. And, you know, let's make something happen, man. I want to be back here doing the same show next week. Yeah, and I, I agree with that 100%. I think also to keep something to keep in mind, other than Kershaw and Bueller, I don't think you're going to see as a formidable of a top two in the rotation than Castillo and Bauer for Cincinnati. Like, I don't think Alicantra and Sixto are as good as, as that duo. Maybe Kershaw and Bueller, you could say, can be, and we know those guys are really good, but Castillo and Bauer were two of the filthiest motherfuckers I've ever seen pitch a postseason game against the Braves in quite some time. And we've been blanked by people in the past before in the playoffs, and it seems like we always wilt in the playoffs as an offense for some goddamn reason. Uh, But I don't think we're going to face someone like that again. Like, to, to be that good, that consistent, I just don't think it's going to happen. So I, I think that plays into the Braves' favor is what I'm trying to say, long story short. Graham, remember back in, like, July when baseball was first coming back and you said you didn't care about it? I never said I didn't care about it. I just said I don't think it's going to be as uh, – I'm not going to be as into it, which turned out to be wrong, or that I wouldn't think it would matter <laughs> as much as prior seasons, which there's a part of me that kind of feels like that just because it it was such a freaking weird season and it's not a full season and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I can tell you 100% when I was watching those playoff games, I was as into those playoff games as I've been into any playoff games since I was a kid and could remember either going or watching at home. So it matters. It's important. And it's playoff baseball. And and that's and yeah, so I guess I can go fuck myself. And it, this, yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to be mean to you or anything, but just trying to remind you of some of the outlandish statements you stay you say sometimes. Sure, just making sure you remember. I, I remember. I, I figured you'd feel a little different on October third than you did like July eighteenth. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a good time for me, so I probably had something yeah. to do with it too. I was a curmudgeon. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, man. Let's do this thing, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm also happy we haven't mentioned that other team in Atlanta yet. We don't have to worry I about that. I don't think them. we have to talk about them. We could, I guess, but who wants to bring. That's one of the things, too. Like, I was, I was thinking about, oh, what sad song am I going to play at the end of the next podcast when we lose in the division series and the Falcons fucking get blown out by the Packers on Monday Night Football? And I don't have to worry about that, which is very, very nice. Yeah, thank you, Braves, for making me happy all week. Yeah, and that, that I'm, I'm ready to play right now, though. I'm a little, I'm a little bummed. We have to wait till Tuesday. I'm very happy we wait till Tuesday because the pitching rotation can reset. Like, would you want to throw Kyle Wright in Game One of a playoff series? Not particularly. Exactly. So you know what? But then you feel, then you feel really good if you can get a win. Well, you would, but I, I would much prefer putting Max Reed back out there. I think one thing I, I really hope the offense can can get their shit together because other than Acuna, it, it it was a pretty ugly series for everybody. I know Austin Riley got a big hit and Marquez did too to get that rally going in the thirteenth, and I know he was going to hit that big homer and Duvall had a homer and Freddie got the walk off hit, but we really need a better effort 
from the offense here. Yeah, I think I think the just the comfortability with the Marlins is going to help the offense out a lot. Even if those guys are good pitchers, I get that, but they at least know what they're coming with. I mean, that's the first time we've played a different team all year, basically. Like you're you're playing the same eight teams the entire season. So that's got to be strange. So now we'll just rotate back in the Marlins and let's just play it like the regular season and take three of five. Yeah. Yeah. I feel pretty good heading into this, this series. This is the, this is the team, even though I know they are pesky as hell. If you had to look at any other team on the board, you know, you don't want to play the Dodgers. You don't want to play the Padres for their offense. You know, the Cubs have a good staff, and even though their offense wilts in the playoffs too, you still didn't really want to play them. And you don't you sure as shit don't want to play the Cardinals. I'm really surprised they lost that series, honestly. Yeah. So, so you know what? I mean, like, out of all the teams to play in the second round, you know, this is the one I'd, I'd pick out of the people that are left. Here, Here's a crazy stat that – took me a while to crunch the numbers on last night so both the al and nl central had a total of seven teams in the playoffs and they're all now eliminated yeah they're all gone yeah that's what we were talking about man the central is a weak ass um weak ass division in, in both in both the nl yep. and the al and they prove that for sure 100 percent. what do you think of this playoff format adam would you want to see this moving forward? I'm okay with it. I, I mean, that was some exciting shit. Just having all those games on the same day. And like we said, it's a million times better than the one game playoff. I feel like generally the best team won the series for the most part, even with uh, who was it? The lost game one. I mean, the Padres lost game one and come back and win. They're, they're better than the Cardinals. Right. So, I'm completely okay with it. And I'm sure it drummed up some excitement for baseball as a whole. Um, especially, it's it's just so weird now they're competing with the NBA Finals as well. And I, I've, I've heard more talk about baseball than yeah, the Finals. Yeah, that's very odd. Yeah, as the Finals are boring because it's Lakers heat. It's, it's such a mismatch. So I, I, I love this format. And it, it has scratched my March Madness itch. I mean, I'm watching the Braves game at 12. And then I was watching the damn Brewers-Dodgers game at 1.30. I mean, it was great. It was, you know, 12-plus hours of baseball. It, 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 you know, since we didn't have March Madness this year, I was like, oh, my God, this is what this is like. I love, I love that feeling of just sitting on the couch and watching sports for an obscene amount of time. And it was able to really scratch that itch. I hope it stays. I love the three-game format. And the other thing that is cool about the playoff expansion here. Everybody bitched when the NBA expanded to eight teams. And for good reason. How many times have you seen a two upset a seven or a one upset an eight? It doesn't really happen. It's happened before, but it's yeah. rare. I mean, you look at or, or or some other mismatch like that. But you look at, at this playoffs, you know, the Marlins upset the Cubs. You know, on paper, that shouldn't happen. And but because it did, it, it can help justify the existence of this format because a lower seated team came through and I was like, Oh, okay. I mean, the, the Cubs were the division winners in the central and they got knocked off by the sixth seed. So hopefully the ratings are good. And I think the Marlins beating the Cubs is also important in terms of saying, okay, maybe this can be more legitimatized. Cause a lot of people were like, Oh, well you should reward um, the regular season team, the teams that do the best in the regular season more, but it's also like, yeah, but if someone can come in and play spoiler, that creates such great drama and so much fun for for baseball and it can get a lot of people watching yeah imagine what that would do for ticket sales both in like like in miami where obviously they need it but like if if your your team has a chance to get the playoffs still even if they might get killed in the first round like you're you're gonna go to games you're gonna be buyers at the trade deadline not selling and i think it's great for baseball like some 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 good things have come out of yeah, and because it's such yeah, a funky some game. good things are going to come out of the weirdness of 2020. And I'm on your page. I hope this is one of them. Expand the playoffs and universal DH. Yeah, yeah. Keep that universal DH. As Lord knows, if we keep that, we better keep Marcelo Zuna, man. We got to sign him. Give him blank check, whatever he wants. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was here squawking about Trevor Bauer today, but Ozuna's the priority. Also, who cares about off-season stuff right now, Graham? We got playoffs. That's We're true. still in the playoffs. Living I, I, the now. I, I'm so used to thinking about what the offseason is going to be like after the, our first round because we always lose. I know. Let's let's go win another series. I want the Dodgers. I, like I want the Padres. Okay. I'll say it. I want the Dodgers. I want to. I want the Dodgers. I think they would absolutely, you know, destroy us. Just because I don't know. I just have a bad feeling about the Dodgers. Like their team on a mission this year, but. Get into the NLCS would be so sweet, and I could, you know, I would be comfortable with whatever the outcome would be after that. Losing to the Marlins, even though we did win a playoff round, would be devastating because we are better than the Marlins. We can yeah. beat the Marlins. We should beat the Marlins. Agreed. Like, that would be a devastating loss. Lose to the Dodgers in the NLCS, not the end of the world. You can live you know, with it. Especially with the rotation where it's at. Yeah. I, I will have a hard time living with losing to the Marlins. No, I mean, on paper, this has worked out for us, these matchups, getting the Reds, who were not an easy matchup, and then, I mean, the Marlins are not as good as the Reds, in my opinion, so let's let's take care of business. Keep it going. Yeah, I'd say they have a better offense, but not as good of a, a staff, so I'll take that in, in the postseason. Here, here, Graham, here, here. Well, I think that wraps us up today, and uh, so we'll be talking to you guys some point next week, I guess during this playoff series or maybe at the end of it. We'll find out. Until then, thank you for listening to the show, however you've listened to it and wherever you're listening from. We hope you guys are staying safe out there and are having an excellent, excellent weekend and basking in the glow of this playoff victory. So we'll see you guys somewhere on down the line on the avenue. Until then, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, believe in blue land, mix it up, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitominous sip. Hospitominous sip. Let's go, Braves! (laughs) 